Hello, I'm Becky Hadid, host of The Storied Recipe. As my weekly guests share their stories through the vessel of cherished food memories, we all become better cooks, more grateful for the gift of food, and we honor those that have loved us through their cooking. Hello, listeners. I am so happy to be back with you today. So I reached out to Yon because she just shares very interesting stories about the flavors and unique ingredients that she finds in the markets of Taipei. And also because she is willing to speak very openly about the current pressures and threats on the Taiwanese, which is something that I wanted to learn more about. But after I started to research for this interview, I learned that she also identifies as a Latin American woman because Yon was born, raised, and educated in Sao Paulo, Brazil. And it turns out that there is, in fact, a vibrant and resilient Taiwanese community there. She tells us how that came to be. Yon is very funny. She's matter of fact. And her story is every bit as fascinating as it sounds. And wait until you hear about her fried chicken recipe. I am excited to share all of this with you today. And I'm especially thrilled that you're just here. So thank you for tuning in and listening. Hey, how are you, Yon? Hi, I'm good. I'm good. How about you? Morning? I yeah, <laughs> Yes. I've been up for about three, <laughs> three hours, though. So. Oh, okay. That's not too bad, then. It's like you weren't just like rolling off bed. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm throwing my, I'm like literally just threw my phone across the room because people keep texting me. It's that time of the morning where everybody seems to need something. So I'm like, I'm, I'm focused. I'm focused now. <laughs> How about you? Was it a long day? Is 8 PM late or are you just warming up at eight? Yeah. I'm a bit of a night owl. So then it kind of makes, I kind of get like, okay, I'm ready to start my day. Okay. Now, I, I spent the whole morning just getting ready for the evening. And then it's like, oh, I need to sleep early. <laughs> like, again, I don't have kids. So it's slightly different for me. But yeah, no, I wasn't too busy today. Um, I just got my AC cleaned um, before oh. the summer starts. Oh, so. nice. Yeah, because it gets very warm there in Taipei. It gets, yeah? It's humid here. It okay. Is, yeah, it's a humid country. Okay. Well, <laughs> yeah, I guess in Island, you're getting a lot of moisture. Yeah, yeah, that's that too. So. Mm. Uh. Now, I lived, I lived in Japan for a year, which is, that's, the latitude is much higher for Japan, right? Mm -hmm. It's not as equatorial, but it was really humid there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think also because it's an island. So, I mean, I haven't been to Japan, which is a bit of a disgrace because people are like, how have you (laughs) never been? I was like, well, I didn't have a, I've been like through the airport when I was little. Yeah. So that doesn't count. But I haven't been since because a the pandemic hit when once I wanted to go to Japan because yeah. now that I live here in Taiwan because a lot of the Taiwanese love going to Japan because it's so close. Is it how how far away is it? It's like a one hour flight if you want to get to like Okinawa like or oh, wow like, if you know yeah so if you want to get to the closest islands it's just about an hour away so I okay. think during winter a lot of people like to go and go to Japan to like snowboard because in Taiwan it doesn't quite snow that much. Yes. Yes. Yeah. My brother came to visit me and he's a really awesome snowboarder. He had a great time snowboarding there. Uh, yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. um, so I feel like a lot of times when I start these interviews, there's so much I want to yeah. know about a person, but I, 
kind of, I kind of know the backbone of the story, right? Like I have okay, some scaffolding, yeah. I'm going to build a building, whatever analogy you want to use. Yeah, I sure. have really looked and I can't find a lot about your story. You talk a lot about your photography, but I am totally fascinated. I don't think I've ever met a Taiwanese person who is also Latin American ever. Yeah, I, we're a bit of a, a bit of a hidden breed, I suppose. Um, oh, really? Guess, so it's not just it's not just your family. There's a whole kind of people group that have gone through this. Yeah, there's uh, there's a town. Ta- when I was growing up in Brazil, there's been a Taiwanese community um, that is that grew in Sao Paulo. So I grew up in Sao Paulo. So okay. there was like a so we did have like our Taiwanese community, and that's how mm. like I met met my uh my other Taiwanese friends um mm. had Chinese classes with these with the same friends wow so yeah because they I think when there was the Taiwanese uh diaspora when people moved it was either like going to the states going to the Americas basically mm-hmm. so actually my parents met in Brazil they didn't really really they didn't really move together yeah I know right so wow so tell me let's let's dig dig into that how did they okay what what Generally, people leave one country for another for either a better opportunity or there's persecution. Um, generally, that's why they also follow family, but usually family goes for one of those two reasons. What got this, not just your parents, but this this group of people to Brazil? What what's kind of drove them out, I guess, of Taiwan, if that's the word? It's going to be a little bit speculative because I think with Asian families, we don't really talk a lot about the history. And I think it's also our own, my own fault, my generation, mm. that we don't really ask our parents about it. Or if we did, it's always a little bit like we don't want to talk about it. Mm. But the context that I've g- gathered is, for example, my mom came when she was went to Brazil, actually, when mm-hmm. she was about 12. And I think mm-hmm. that was during the Japanese occupation of Taiwan. So, so think, are we going way back to World War II? I think so, yeah. Wow, okay. Okay. Yeah. I apologize and advice. My Taiwanese history is not super. <laughs> That's right? okay. That's okay. And <laughs> the ears kind of blend into each other, but from what I know. Um, uh-huh. So, but yeah, it was during the Japanese occupation. Mm. And I think they just left because a lot of, I think, it was because Brazil at the time was also in a developing country. Mm-hmm. It's going to be like the new America. So mm-hmm. the, I think this, there was some sort of government. There was uh, some sort of, they were friendly with each other. Mm-hmm. So the story that I know is that my grandfather apparently took a boat that was like a month long all the way to Brazil to check wow. things out to see if it was good. And then he took a boat back to pick up the family. And I was like, wow, this man took like, two months just to move his family. No um, kidding. And sacrificed yeah. everything because and, yeah. sea voyages aren't the safest things. <laughs> no, they are not. Yeah. So, um, and I only found out like much later in life about actually what their story was, because again, when you're little, either you don't get talked mm-hmm. about it, you don't, or you, when you ask, you just get shunned. Mm. But my grandfather, from my mother's, this is from my mother's side of the family, my grandfather was a glass blower. Wow. So to make a living in Brazil, he would like glass blow tiny, like, you know, glass ornaments, so like animals or like wedding. Um, really? The wedding favors. Yeah. Yeah. What an artist. 
I know. And then, um, and then my grandmother, she used to make a Taiwanese, a Taiwanese dish. So like a Taiwanese pork meatball and the Taiwanese uh, rice dump, glutinous rice dumpling that comes yeah. wrapped in the, in the lotus leaf, uh, banana leaves. Uh-huh. So she used to make those to sell as well. So I think that's why maybe wow. from there, there came the food and I guess the creativity with it wow. from that and- side of the family. Right. Now they did that in Taiwan or those, they use the same skills when they moved to Brazil. They use these skills. They actually, I think they adapted these skills to use in Brazil. Wow. Yeah. I'm not quite sure what my grandfather did when he he was Mm. here in Taiwan. My Mm. grandmother, I knew that because in the family from a mother's side, everyone says the consensus is my grandmother was like the best cook (laughs) and she was just very gifted and nobody knows how Nobody mm. knows the recipe. I also don't know the recipe, unfortunately. Mm. Oh, that's what, was, that's what you mentioned you wanted to share was these um, was these pork meatballs. Yeah. But you just didn't have the recipe. Isn't that a shame? It is such mm. a shame because even though I'm living in Taiwan, I have not have one, had one that is as good as my grandmother's because isn't my mom awesome? would make the soup and then mm. maybe there would be like four of them. And I and then when she came out, like, what happened to them? I was like, I don't know. They just <laughs> just, don't put enough in the pot. And you just have the vegetables floating around in the soup and all of a sudden you're, quote, not hungry anymore. <laughs> you're like, oh, you know, I, I, I can't eat the daikon. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. Wow. Wow. So that's amazing. I didn't I didn't know any of that. Um isn't it amazing the way humans just move around the globe and restart and show so much resilience? Yeah. And like, especially because it's not like they went to Brazil knowing how to speak the language. Or... Right. Portuguese. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so then tell me about growing up. You were born in Brazil. Mm-hmm. And you lived, you knew this grandmother and grandfather well? Yeah, I would spend weekends with uh, going to my grandmother's house, mm. spending with my, uh, from my mother's side. And then when it was with my father's side of the family, uh, we only had our grandfather. Mm-hmm. So he also lived, uh, we lived in the same building. So the apartment building, so it's like a very mm-hmm. Taiwanese structure. It's like the whole family lives in the same place. So mm. <laughs> top floor, bottom floor, everyone's together. Right. And so is this, you know, if you go to New York City, for instance, you know, um, mm-hmm. I, I'm thinking of a couple that I interviewed, well, not a couple, a mother and a daughter that I interviewed mm-hmm. um, almost a year ago, exactly. And they moved to New York from Jamaica. And they were like, it was really like little Jamaica there for for a couple blocks, you know, it was uh-huh. it like that where you lived in Sao Paulo? Or did you just kind of have some family, but you were interspersed with the general Brazilian population? Were there other immigrants around? What was that like? I think it was half and half because again, Mm. even though I grew up in Brazil, I did go to, uh, I went to American school. Mm. So that's why I have barely no accent. Mm. (laughs) People get confused as well by that. Mm. But I also, for example, we also had the Taiwanese community. So that were also very, I think at the time, there's also like a a few districts that were like where most of the Mm. Taiwanese or Asian community would be in so like in I think Sao Paulo is 
curiously the one place that does not have a Chinatown that's called Chinatown. <laughs> it's actually more a Japan town because it would have the, you know, the Japanese arches and the Japanese lanterns, but it's taken over by Chinese people now. So this is so it's just Asian town. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Wow. And then how about the food that you ate? Who did you eat mostly Taiwanese food? Did you eat Brazilian food? Like a little bit of both? And and I'm also super curious. Well, I'll ask a follow-up question in a minute. Yeah. Tell me about the yeah. food. I ate both. At home, we would always eat Taiwanese food mm-hmm. uh, because that's what my my mom and my dad would be, uh, would cook. Mm-hmm. We also had, in Brazil, they, we also had started a Chinese restaurant. So it was oh. more like Taiwanese food, but it was easier just to say, call it Chinese mm-hmm. food. Mm-hmm. Taiwan was as a smaller it was a smaller country mm-hmm. so it also would make like Chinese dishes so for example we would make our own smoke we had our own smoker to make like Peking duck for example mm. yeah so and like hoisin sauce was also like house made and wow. another Taiwanese dishes okay okay and your family ran this your parents yeah my my parents ran this uh along with his my with his brother so my dad's brother so Mm -hmm. it was like a kind of a family business so i feel like most of us asians is like we like to take our food with us wherever we go (laughs) (laughs) so starting a restaurant is the way to kind of like all right i can still eat what i you know i'm used to eating (laughs) yes yes yeah this is and it's very hard work your family worked very very hard yeah yeah Mm -hmm. i think that's the a story for all of them and you know Mm-hmm. They all you know, growing up, they always tell like you know, give me the opportunities that we didn't have. Mm-hmm. Now it's only when you're an adult that you kind of understand it a little bit better. Mm-hmm. When you're little, you kind of take it for granted. Like for example, I was a little bit spoiled because when I was little, they would bring food, and I was like, oh, I don't want to eat Chinese food. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I can't eat this anymore. I want to eat something else because it's like every day it's the same thing. Um, mm-hmm. It wasn't the same thing. It was just for me. It was like I did. I want a different palate because I, mm-hmm. since again, I was not always fully in a in a like a Taiwanese environment I was like oh I can eat other stuff so like right. for example the rice is for me was something that blew my mind when I first ate Brazilian rice and I was like oh, this rice is loose it doesn't <laughs> stick together <laughs> I remember going home to my mom and telling her I just want to eat this rice that's so well that that is actually the follow-up question that I was going to ask is did your family both for the family that you um both for the food that you ate at home and also the food you ate in a restaurant did they have trouble sourcing this I mean how similar is the agriculture and the ingredients for Brazil it's actually pretty similar because mm. I think it's also a temperate to tropical climate mm-hmm. so a lot of the produce was easy to source and if not they were also we also had local Taiwanese or Japanese grocers. Mm. So they would also get the produce from them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Was San Paulo a pretty prosperous area? Yeah. I, yeah. I think Sao Paulo is pretty metropolitan. I think for yeah. food wise, um, I guess other people from like other cities in Brazil are going to argue with me, but mm. Sao Paulo is the best for food. <laughs> well. So you have everything. <laughs> I can't, I can't get involved in that argument. I'd love to go to Brazil, but I haven't been yet. Um, I have a cousin who's Brazil. Well, my cousin Mm -hmm. married a Brazilian woman. Mm -hmm. So maybe someday. Um, Okay. So you talked about the idea that your family started a restaurant. They kind of exported their food to Brazil. And the best way to maintain that was to start a restaurant. But you brought up this idea that 
it was easier just to call it Chinese instead of calling it Taiwanese. And I really do want to dig into this question right now at the up, you know, up front in the interview, because I think it's going to color and flavor everything that we discuss Mm -hmm. going through. So um, this question of the relationship between Taiwan and China, um, both historically and then also what's happening right now. Let's let's dig into that a little bit. So can you explain the history between Taiwan and China, how you view that? And then why, what's the current relationship between them? Why is that, um, that seems very tense right now? So I always grew up thinking and knowing Taiwan to just be its own country. Mm. And there was never any argument about being like in my family or with even within the commuter, there was never this argument of like, oh, you know, we this is all one country. Mm-hmm. Like it was only after I left Brazil. Um, I lived in China for a few years. Mm. So it was How really, it was really, I was 24, 25, I think. Mm-hmm. So I think, I, yeah. And then when I was, I lived there for a few years. And I remember every time we felt people were asking me like, oh, where are you from? Because I look Asian. I was like, oh, I'm from, my parents are from Taiwan. They're like, oh, Taiwan is part of China. <laughs> and I was like, and I wanted to avoid the argument because I was like, I don't want to get stuck in this. It's like, yeah, I'm just at telling you what area. Mm. Because in, in China, if you talk, if you talk about it, it's mm. either you start a fight, it's a bit of a, you kind of want to pick and choose your fights. Mm-hmm. so even my mom was like no you're Taiwanese I was like I know I'm Taiwanese my passport says Taiwan even growing up in school as well when people just you know the pejorative terming uh terms of calling you like uh you're Japanese or you know you're Chinese and I was like not Chinese Taiwanese so mm-hmm. I think my parents ingrained it into me that the whole idea is like we're Taiwanese we're we have nothing to do with China nothing I mean, to do with it wow mm-hmm Nothing to do with it. Um, mm. Like, if we go really back in history from what I know is like, mm-hmm. the first people that came to colonize were like Dutch people. Dutch people. Yeah. This is they interesting. Yeah, I interviewed someone a couple of weeks back who's Indonesian. And same mm-hmm. thing. She, I think, even like spoke a little bit of Dutch. Yeah, she yeah. immigrated from, well, her family immigrated from China to Indonesia. But then, like you're mm-hmm. saying, there were all these layers because there was the layer of the Dutch colonization. And in fact, they were the ones, they got labor from China, brought it to Indonesia um, mm-hmm. when they colonized it. Yeah. So that's interesting. Very, because similar yeah. areas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then if we were thinking about geographically, Taiwan is like part of the like Asia Pacific Island. So, mm-hmm. You know, my relatives here, they would say, well, our DNA is closer to like even the Maori people because we're all island people. We're not we're not like mainland people. Mm-hmm. So I and I think at the time, because Taiwan, uh, Japan then had was, was occupying mm-hmm. Taiwan. And then when they had the war, like China mm-hmm. just, you know, like before China didn't even want the island. It was just like, oh, it's a piece of land. Like, I don't need it there because mm-hmm. there was nothing here before. Mm-hmm. But I think just because someone else has it, they're like China has this idea of like, I just want bigger mm-hmm. pieces. I just want to become bigger. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think yesterday somebody asked me, oh, I think it was my, one of my little cousins that asked me like, oh, isn't Tibet part of China? I was like, no, it is not. Mm. I was like, I don't know how you saw that. But 
So it's really hmm. funny how the geographic map is different for everyone mm-hmm. because everyone just because I think China has the power and then also all this I don't know Chinese washing I guess mm-hmm. where people just get they just assume like oh you know it's just part of it's part of it because it speaks Chinese mm-hmm. Taiwan speaks Chinese I was like yes but we also have our own currency so mm-hmm. there are certain things like even when I was living in China I had to take an international flight if I wanted to come to Taiwan so like China you are kind of conceding to the idea that it is its own yeah. country but you also don't want to because I feel like if it fails at fills at this it also loses power because it mm-hmm. has this idea that it must be the supreme mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. so it becomes that's why like with the war that's happening in Ukraine and Russia a lot of people are drawing parallels with Taiwan because yes it's again a big country that wants to take over another one and yes. you know i think china in the in the asian term if we say like doesn't want to lose face mm-hmm. if it if it lets you know taiwan go because it already took down it already has kind of taken hong kong for example yeah mm-hmm. so yeah it's pretty stunning and chilling what has happened in hong kong and i think just this week right there was a i'm using air quotes election mm-hmm. yeah. um of a new a new leader yeah that's that's been a pretty um it hasn't been discussed for whatever reason taiwan i feel like is in every article about like you said about ukraine it's kind of like always these parallels are being drawn being drawn being drawn um but somehow hong kong seemed to happen under the cover of darkness somehow like i feel like that's very rarely discussed and i don't know or understand why that is um so do 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 you feel like a constant threat? Are people kind of looking over their shoulders? Or is it just kind of like, well, that'll never really happen? What's the general feeling there? You're very outspoken about it. Are you afraid to be outspoken about it? Not really. Mm. Uh, I'm very pro-Taiwan. Uh, it, mm. it is a democracy. We have we can we can actually choose who we want to vote for. Mm. So I think the because I've been in Taiwan, I've moved back about five years. So I've actually been able to kind of witness and see a little bit of the change in how Taiwan is much more outspoken about its stance. Um, mm-hmm. Again, it doesn't want to break ties w- with China, but it's like we're not, we can, we're friends, but we're neighbors. We're, we're not mm-hmm. one country. And you're saying Hong so, Kong kind of walked that line a little bit. It was a little more ripe for takeover. It was a little bit more ripe for takeover mm-hmm. because I remember as well, like in a lot of, uh, a lot of companies do have uh, Chinese companies had hold in Hong Kong and a lot of the political party was already mm-hmm. decided by Beijing. So it's mm-hmm. like, okay, you have these choices. Who do you want to choose? So there was a lot of corruption there and it's really unfortunate. And Taiwan did stand by Hong Kong as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I also feel for my Hong Kongese friends because like, I think Taiwan was also allowing um, Hong Kongese people to come in if they want to have uh, to attain citizenship here. Mm. But it's also complicated because Hong Kong is geographically literally annexed to the country. Right, right. And like you're saying, you yeah. ca- you have a Taiwanese passport. Um, yes. Hong. So how do you say the people that live in Hong Kong is the Hong? How do you say that? Hong Kongese. Hong Hong Kongese. Okay, the Hong Kongese. Did they have Chinese or Hong Kongese passports? They, 
they have Hong Kong Hong Kong passports. So actually, okay. one of my cousins was born in Hong Kong, but mm-hmm. at the time, I think it was because it was still a, a British colony. She actually got a British passport. Right, and then the British actually returned it to China, right? Yeah. So there, yeah. So there, so was, there wasn't. Yeah, there was a much closer. Yeah, it it, it was yeah, more so debatable. There was an agreement. Mm. Yeah, so there was an mm. agreement. They were like, okay, we're returning it to China at I forget what year, but right. anyways, China just violated it because they just did it earlier. Because they're like, oh, it's mine. It's going to be mine anyways. I think okay. that was kind okay. of what they're thinking. Um, but back to what you were asking mm. about, if I feel a threat for my safety, mm. I personally do not feel a threat for my safety mm-hmm. because. I feel like if Taiwan has been, I mean, China has been barking this for a long, long time. And I think Mm -hmm. if it wanted to, it would have already done something. Mm -hmm. But if it did something as well, and if it already tells the people that are in within China that Taiwan is part of it, it's like, why are you fighting them then? Then you're fighting yourself. (laughs) Right. So Yes. Although we do see the mangled logic over, you know, Russia is somehow liberating Ukraine, but still fighting it. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So you feel like it's something that is always going to be in the language people use, but you don't, you don't feel a current, like a, a, a military threat. I don't feel like a military threat because I think Taiwan is also prepared. Like we're watching as well, what's happening with Ukraine and we stand by Ukraine as well. Mm-hmm. So this is also an opportunity for even the older generation or the generation mm-hmm. that is, or the the populace that is more pro-China to actually see like this is not how you do things Mm. like look what's happening in Ukraine so you know we're thankful for Ukraine for like you know this is setting us as an example because like Mm. this this can't stand Mm. that's an interesting take that I hadn't considered is that there's surely people in there in in Taiwan who are pro-Chinese and they're kind of seeing um maybe it's not it doesn't it's not as rose colored as they might want it to be that's interesting yeah. yeah so you talked about i mean like i said i don't i don't think i've read a single article about ukraine where the parallels haven't been drawn this is something like the western world is very very um conscious of it's watching closely like you said and um for one reason you know, you were talking about the reasons why China would want Taiwan to be part of it. And first of all, Taiwan is a very productive, prosperous country that produces a lot of really important things for the technology, um, the technology industry. Yeah. So that's one of the reasons why they might want to take it. Mm -hmm. But then also, like, if you want to take it, yeah, if you're going to do it in an attack, like, there's not going to be any production. So um, right. good luck at the same time. Right, so, right, right. Again, Taiwan mm. is, that's why like Taiwan does not retaliate. So for example, there's always like incursions across uh, the Taiwanese Strait where there's Chinese jet fighters that are coming to our airspace. Yeah. But again, it's just provocation, which it almost feels now as like a mosquito flying through the air. Because uh, it's like, they're just, because I think their game is like, okay, because China's very good at playing the long game, kind of like, mm-hmm. like Russia. Mm-hmm. So they're like, okay, if I, maybe if I pick at it enough and then someday it re- retaliates, I have a reason then. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the Taiwanese and the Taiwanese government, they're very clear on that. Mm-hmm. 
That's from my perception. Yes. This is really, really interesting. Yes. You've talked about um, the way that the rest of the world is. So I think when I first realized that you were Taiwanese is in your Instagram stories, you shared this really shameful story of how um, a British publishing company either chose to Mm -hmm. or agreed to censor some of their books and just remove entire sections or alter entire sections and the way that they um, referred to Taiwan. So talk Mm -hmm. to me a little bit about that, like the Western capitulation to China. Like, do you view that as just another way of not provoking them? Or do you view that that's, you know, that's a bridge too far and you can't start censoring um, or minimizing the role in the existence of Taiwan? Unfortunately, it's something that seems to happen quite a bit. Um, mm-hmm. Not bes- besides just the cookbooks, which I thought it was ridiculous what happened with the cookbooks, because if you just edit that, you just basically alter the entire history. So it's not even <laughs> right. factual. It just becomes an opinion. Mm. So oh, I so these were cookbooks that they that they censored. Some of them were cookbooks. Mm. Uh, I think because I don't remember right now, but yeah, some of them were cookbooks and some of them were talking about like, you know, the history of a dish or, or, you know, it's referencing Taiwan. But again, because China doesn't get, because it gets really upset, throws a fit every time you mention Taiwan as a country. <laughs> so even like, for example, if we, I think there were some cases where I think even John Cena had to issue an apology <laughs> to, to China because he called Taiwan a country. Yeah. And there are other other, I think, basketball players or mm-hmm. other um, other famous people that also mentioned it. And then, you know, China just like, okay, we're not going to have this brand or, okay, we don't want to work with you. So for financial reasons, other people just mentioned, just get bullied into the whole, like, fine, we'll concede. And that probably bothers you when people do concede like that. That would bother me a lot. Yeah, it bothers me because, you know, for example, in the Olympics, Taiwan is not even allowed to compete as its own country. It has to compete as Chinese Taipei. Well, I mean, I try really hard not to get political on this podcast, like share my own (laughs) opinions, but the International Olympic Committee is really just an arm of the Communist Party. Like, I feel like that's become increasingly clear. Yeah, I mean, Taiwan's not even allowed to be in the WHO, the World Health Organization, not even part of it. And like, Taiwan has done so well with the pandemic. It's like, yes, you know, and you guys can't even let us in. Right. We should be learning from you. Yeah. So I think like, wow, I think I feel that's why like Taiwanese people are very resilient. They're like, you know, they don't really don't retaliate, but they're like, you know, okay. And like you were mentioning Mm -hmm. before. Now and now in the media, you can see more about Taiwan, which is also great, even though, okay, some of the stories are not super positive because of, you know, tensions. But I think it's better than before where people in the past wouldn't even know where, what Taiwan was. They were like, mm-hmm. Thailand? Yeah, I love Pad Thai. I was like, no, different <laughs> island. <laughs> right. I also love Pad Thai, but mm-hmm. Taiwan. <laughs> right. Yeah. And this is really interesting also because... Um, Again, to go back to these parallels, what what it sounds like you're saying is that the Taiwanese people, the more that the international community 
kind of gives in to China, the more you as a country are developing that same resilience and love of freedom and love of independence that we're seeing from the Ukrainian people. Like you're becoming galvanized and there's no, there's, it sounds like there's less and less of like, well, maybe it wouldn't be so bad to just be part of China. There's more and more to, we are our own country and we will not um, stand for a threat to that. Yes, definitely. That's interesting. Hmm. Wow. Hello, and I apologize for the interruption, which will be brief. First, I just wanted to say thank you again for being here. And also, I can use your help. Believe it or not, my podcast calendar is almost full for the rest of 2022. And I promise we're going to hear from some amazing guests. I feel responsible to share these stories that we're going to get to hear with as many listeners as possible. And I'm asking you for your support in doing that. So first of all, can you just make sure that you subscribe right now to the podcast in whatever player you're listening to it in? Second, would you please leave the podcast a five-star rating and review? Lots of new listeners have joined over the last few months, which is super exciting. Thank you so much for that. And what we need is we need for Apple and other players to know that you love the Storied Recipe podcast. That way they'll encourage other listeners to find it as well. And finally, would you please go ahead and send this episode to anyone you know that might enjoy it? So while we want this to rank high in Apple Podcasts and other players, if they show it to a potential listener, there's a small chance that they will listen to it. But if you send this to a friend or family member with a strong recommendation, the chances are very, very likely that they will listen. So if you share that personally, it will make um, so much of a difference to me to growing the podcast. And together, we can all bear witness to the stories of the guests that I get to have on here. Thank you so much. And we're going to get back to Yon now. How is Taiwanese food alike or unlike Chinese food? Uh, Taiwanese food, I feel like because it's like island, it's an island, so it has mm-hmm. a slight variation to to Chinese food. But again, because it's a big country, there's a lot of different provinces, so there's different types of cuisines and different mm-hmm. dishes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so it's I some, feel like yeah, it's almost an ignorant question for me to even say Chinese food, right? Like it just covers so many different regions and climate zones and therefore cuisines. Yeah. Mm. So I think Taiwanese food, I think even Taiwan is trying to understand and trying to define for itself mm-hmm. what is Taiwanese food that goes beyond like, oh, Ding Tai Fong. I was like, yeah, you know, we love our soup dumpling. Mm. <laughs> but, and boba. And But there's so much more. So even that's why through my photography, I always want to try and capture the things that are not that are they haven't gone super mainstream or you know i mean i love boba but as well but i think there's other other dishes that mm. have been made for years here in taiwan that kind of like give you other memories mm. but also that are you can't really get them anywhere anywhere else mm-hmm. they're unique completely to taiwan yeah yeah well okay so this seems like the perfect time to start talking about this basil fried chicken okay yeah <laughs> I'm, okay. I'm probably the only vegetarian and vegan that will still speak fondly about me. <laughs> I'm vegetarian, not fully vegan, not there yet. That's funny. And I do want to hear more about why you made that choice. Tell me first about this dish and 
um, why you chose it, what your memories are of it. Well, first of all, what it tastes like, like paint, paint a picture for us here. Um, get our taste buds going <laughs> and then, yeah, why you chose it and the person, the person who made this for you. I just love a dish that has like a game, a good texture game. Mm. So, you know, it's like crispy and crunchy on the outside mm. and the chicken is just like really juicy, but it's also flavorful because you mm. have like all the different, the spice mix, but you also have like, no, I don't know. I'm starting my, like starting to salivate myself because <laughs> it's such a good combination because I think it's just the smell of it and mm. the breading of it is mm. very unique. Because again, it stays really crispy on the outside. It doesn't get soggy. So you have mm -hmm. like a very distinct layer in between the meat and actually the the outer covering, the mm -hmm. crispy covering. And then you mix it in with the basil. It just kind of gives you like a, a little hit of a spiciness. But mm -hmm. also because it's fried, so it kind of gives you like a coolness at the end of it, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. Basil has such a, there's a, there's a sweet tone to it too. Yeah. Mm. Almost like as if it was almost like a reminiscent of a lemon mm. or mm -hmm. citrus. Yes. Yes. Slightly citrusy. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you marinate um, the chicken in all of these flavors. Then you coat it with, it sounds like a, um, a sweet potato starch. Is that like, does it give it a light a light, like the crispiness is it, it you know like a flour if you dredge chicken and flour maybe like southern fried chicken i mean that's going to be like a heavy a heavy coating but the starch i'm thinking is more of a lighter fluffier crispiness yeah so it does exactly that it gives it a bit more fluffiness mm -hmm. and then it gives it an extra crisp onto mm -hmm. it so mm -hmm. it doesn't stay as heavy so it actually makes it like puff up a little bit more mm. Okay. And then you fry the basil leaves and this is Thai mm -hmm. basil, which I think is, um, it's like long and narrow kind of purplish leaves. Am I thinking of the right plant? Uh, it, I think there's a purplish one, but this mm -hmm. one is just the green one. Okay. But yeah, that's the one. Yeah. I think, I don't know. Yeah. It's like a Thai basil. Okay. And you, you actually fry those as well. Yes. Okay. I've never done this. How long do you fry a basil leaf for? Actually, I think I have for one dish a couple years ago. It was another, it was another herb that I was supposed to fry, I think. So yeah. How long? Yeah, do you... So you also coat it in the sweet potato starch oh. and then I think you, and then you just like toss it in and as soon as it floats up, take it out. Okay. So it's a real quick, okay. And then, yeah. <laughs> and then you coat it with chicken crack which is just an amazing term. What is chicken crack? <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I laughed out loud when I read that. <laughs> the pepper mix, because the pepper mix does not go into the chicken at first. It's just, you have the marinade and then you have the, the chicken crack that gives you the extra, you know, the, because pepper usually if you fry, it just burns, mm. right? So you don't want that burnt flavor in your mouth. Mm. You kind of want a little bit of that it's almost numbing kind of like, Ooh, that's black pepper. Cause I love black pepper. So mm -hmm. I think like I'll put black pepper and everything, but that, that makes will kind of, again, I think it gives you another dimension also because it helps soak up the juiciness. Oh, right. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's true. So not only do you have flavor, but the flavor has like the, the flavor of the seasonings also soaks up the flavor of like the, the kind of fat and juices, Oh, yeah, I didn't even think about that. 
Oh, yeah. So like, for yeah. example, I think you, you were talking about like the marinade. So the marinating for like three hours, they don't, you don't exceed that. So actually mm-hmm. I had to ask the original person like, uh, that provided the recipe. And, and I talked to a few other Taiwanese people like, what? why do we do that exactly? Mm-hmm. I feel like there's a logical reason. And they explained yeah. to me, uh, if you do it for too long, you lose the chicken flavor. Oh, it becomes more of the, the, the marinade rice one or the Shaoxing wine. Yeah. The marinade. So you want to at least retain some of the chicken flavor because, you know, it's basil fried chicken. Okay. Okay. I really can't wait to try this. I mean, you really, <laughs> you really have me going with this. I have a couple of questions about the, um, the ingredients. So first okay. of all, we talked about the, um, the Thai basil. I have no doubt I can find that. I have like really well-stocked Asian markets near me. So I have no doubt I can find that. I've never heard of either of these. um, Well, I've heard of a sweet rice, sweet rice wine, and I guess Mirin is just a name for it. Tell me about the second one and what are the differences in their flavors? So rice wine or Mirin is kind of like the standard that everyone will have at home to cook. Mm-hmm. So you can use that for like for braising or for cooking fish or um, fish or, or meat dishes, vegetable dishes. Shaoxing wine, you use it more. It has, so the Mirin is a slightly sweeter tone. And then when you have Shaoxing wine, it's a slightly more spicier tone. Mm. So that one usually will cook it with chicken because the chicken meat will actually absorb that flavor well. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So that's the that's the more the more contrasting between them is like the Shaoxing Wang is a bit more spicy. Okay. Great. This is interesting. Yeah. I've never tried a spicy wine, so I'm very excited about yeah. this part as well. There you go. <laughs> yeah. And then sweet potato starch, powder, flour. You said those are all the same, which is a really, I think, good note for people to know and mm-hmm. understand. I didn't know that. I would have been looking for different things, wondering. So thank you for noting that. Oh, you're um, welcome. Okay. I've never seen lemongrass powder or white plum powder. Tell me about those flavors. And do you, I mean, do you have any tips on where to get those here in the U.S.? Just, you think just a, an Asian market? I feel like an Asian market will have it. The lemongrass powder, I think that's common for Southeast Asian cooking mm. because uh, instead of using fresh lemongrass, because I think fresh lemongrass will be also more powerful. Mm. And then um, the plum powder Actually, here as a dessert, some people like to put the plum powder with, so it's dried plum. Oh. They like to use it for, um, to put it to eat with like guava or with oh. fruit. So you have like fresh cut fruit at the night market and then you'll put some plum powder on it. Wow. It's like, because it, because it, it kind of gives like a, I want to say salty. It's kind of like a, a tart. It makes it more, it makes it more sweet because it starts tart. Like once you have it and then it makes it more sweet. So. Yes. And then I think plum is also a choice because it's, I think for in, because Asian cuisine is all of like, you're eating this for your good, for your healthy. Mm. <laughs> so I think with the plum also helps with the digestive system. Okay. So it kind of does not have it to, does not make it too heating, I guess. Okay. Well, so here you guys heard it. Fried chicken is going to be good for your digestive system. Just sprinkle a little plum powder on top. Yeah. It'll give you extra flavor, but also it'll be good for you. (laughs) No, but that is good to know because if I get a, um, if I get a container of plum powder, then I'll certainly have some left over after I make this. Mm -hmm. And so I'll definitely try it on a little bit of cut fruit. That's super interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm looking, I actually look, I always like to know if I have Amazon as a backup, if something isn't Mm -hmm. available at the Asian market and the, um, the lemongrass powder definitely is the white plum powder. I'm seeing a lot of things that are called um, Li Hing Mui powder. 
Does that sound right? But it's it's all all of these are orange or Lehing powder. Uh, I need to take a look because I haven't seen because I can see one you that I see of this. And then there's the one that also, I usually see mm-hmm. is a little bit like almost kind of pink. Yes, that's what I'm looking at. Yeah, it's oh it's, yeah, no, that's the right one. Yeah, it's coral. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, kind of coral. Yeah, like a light coral. Yeah. Okay. I don't know the exact brand. Um, I there's I usually just random go to the to the open. To, I like I like going to the wet market. I was like, what do you have? I was like, okay, this looks fresh. Oh, and you can just yeah, you can just get your own. It's kind of in bulk, and you can just get it in your own bag. Yeah. Oh, so cool, so cool. So you guys have you have wet markets there? Yes. I mean, those have become controversial as well. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's funny when they say it's, it's like, oh, you know, those are not sanitary. And I was like, to be fair, though, if you think about it, the amount of people that go through and buy the food, mm. it's always going to be fresh. They can, if anything was old and stale, you could tell, mm. if, especially that there's no people there. Yeah. So I, I even remember like before when I was in China. Sorry, cut you off. N- no, I, I was just going to say, I, I don't even know what the term wet market means. I think the the term wet market just means it's just like an open air market. So okay. it's like the same thing. I grew up in Brazil that um in Brazil we have the feira, which mm. is on the weekends, you know, the farmers or whoever is bringing the produce, they have the they close up the street, open up the their stalls and just sell what they have. Mm. Yeah, every um, country I, has those. Yeah. So I think just because like in Taiwan or in Asia in general, the wet market there's uh, they're always at the same place and there's always a dedicated market area mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so they just call it the wet market because you know it's they open clothes and i guess because it's wet because after they clean up they clean up the streets so everything is guess, oh that explains it i see like they just go through with a hose yeah oh okay okay so do yeah. you, you like to go you go regularly to these I like going to these. Um, I like yeah. to buy local and I like to buy seasonal when I yeah. can. So I very rarely go to the supermarket to buy produce. Mm. Um, because again, I just like to see, for, it's also for curious, like, oh, what's in season? Right. Um, because I, I wasn't very, not very like well-versed in understanding like, oh, what's what's available now and what mm. isn't. And like, so I like to even talk sometimes to them, be like, oh, what's good? How do you pick this? Because again, these, I think these are forgotten skills, like how to pick fruit. <laughs> mm, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, you, it, turn, it, turn, it becomes a real educational experience for you. Yeah. And then also yeah. they always have um, other street foods that are, or like dishes mm. that are available that they will sell. So, you know, if you want to buy dumpling wrappers, for example, if you want to make your own dumplings or wontons, mm-hmm. you can go to the market and you can get that. Mm. So they have a little bit of everything, even if you want to buy noodles or, mm. you know, again, you never know what you're going to find. So like, for example, I found a really good, uh, this young couple that made tofu and their okay. tofu is amazing. And I know it's amazing because all these other Taiwanese grannies are lining up at 9am. <laughs> so I was like, they know it's good. So I, I, I agree. Follow the grannies. That's good advice in follow cooking. <laughs> no, follow the queue in Taiwan. It's like, you follow the queue. If you see a line for any food place, you're like, okay, I'm in for a treat. That's so interesting. And when you go to these wet markets, can you also get prepared food? Like, could you get this fried chicken or something like that there? You could, but I think this specific uh, basil fried chicken, you'll have better luck at the night market. Mm. So that's another special thing that I think only Taiwan has still. Mm. 
is the night markets. So especially, you know, you just go and, you know, go on a snack, snack marathon. Oh, wow. Yeah. That sounds amazing. It's like, what do you want to do? Let's go eat. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I better go in a group because I want to get a lot of snacks and I want to share. That's great. Wow. What a fun, fun thing. Is it mostly young people or is it people of all ages? You get people of all ages. Although I would say my relatives don't go to those because mm. they're like, can't stay up that late. Yeah. <laughs> but, but like, I like going just to, again, I like going to see and just to watch the food preparations. Mm. Or so let's say I have a craving, like there's just so many snacks that are just Taiwanese, like the deep fried sweet potato bowls. As you can tell, we love sweet potato on everything. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think they even say the shape of the island of Taiwan kind of looks like a sweet potato. <laughs> that's I funny. Like, I guess maybe that's why people are kind of sweet. But um, I don't Aww. know if you've ever had this. Uh, no. One of my favorite vegetables or greens here is sweet potato leaves. Really? Like the vines? Yeah. Oh, that's so interesting. You know, they sell them here. They're very popular in potted plants here, just as, as, um, ornamentals. No, no, you should be eating them. Well, (laughs) this is so I'm going to, and you know, it's funny as I remember one year I was cleaning out my pots. This Mm is, I'm embarrassed to admit this out loud, but I'm going to, I was cleaning out my pots and I pulled out a sweet potato vine and I was like, Oh, there's a sweet potato then there, you know, the root was a sweet <laughs> potato. And I thought I'm a little embarrassed. I'm so surprised by this. It's called a sweet potato vine. Why am I surprised it grew a sweet potato? I think I was just in this, it's an ornamental plant. It's visual. You have it yeah. stuck in pots with petunias and growing on, you know, in a planter. Um, yeah. so yeah. Okay. I have several in my backyard right now. I'm going to go try the leaves. <laughs> right. Yeah. Are they sweet? Yeah. That's like, no, no. Okay. No, but I, I, I don't know how I would describe the flavor right now, but it's one of my favorite, um, like it just kind of stir fried or, you know, just pan really? fried with like a little bit of water. That's just really, I love eating potato leaves. And they're uh, apparently, super prolific. I mean, they just grow they and grow and grow prolific. and grow. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. So, and it's a, it's a cheap, um, vegetable to get here as well. Um, I think like my aunt said that before when they were little, like they used to give the sweet potato leaves to the pigs to eat, right? Okay. And then oh, it was only afterwards they're like, oh, you know, actually this is very good for us. <laughs> that's so, so interesting. You know, yeah. yeah. Wow. That's amazing. So mm-hmm. I want to keep talking about this, like your kind of culinary heritage, I guess. So let's go back to the recipe and we'll we'll expand from there. So who made this? Okay. Who is Hannah Huang? Who made this? So I don't know. I personally don't know Hannah, but I know Hannah mm-hmm. through a Taiwanese home cooking group. Oh, and really? She was doing, yeah. So she was doing a night market uh, cooking series. So, and this was one of the recipes that she had shared. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So she goes to the night market and she kind of um, figures out popular dishes and then how to make them at home. Yeah. Oh, wow. Um, especially because they, uh, Hannah doesn't live in Taiwan. Oh. And the group as well has a lot of, quite a few people that don't live in Taiwan, but they're like, what's a hack that I can do for this? I want to get that Taiwan flavor. Like, Oh, what can yeah. I use this as a, I found this at a Taiwanese grocers. Wow. Okay. Maybe send me her information as well. So I can link to that in the show notes. Um, if she has, you know, a website or an Instagram account, I would love to okay. credit her. Yeah. Okay. Sure. So when you, um, when you were growing up, you ate a lot of Taiwanese food, 
but your palate was expanded beyond that. Um, as you came back to Taiwan, well, first of all, how did you make the decision to return to Taiwan? Was that your personal choice or did your family come back? It was a personal choice. I was already living abroad. I've been I've been living an expat life for quite a few mm-hmm. for at least over a decade now. Mm-hmm. And I when I was born, my parents never applied for a Taiwanese citizenship for for us, for me and my oh. brother. They they just assumed that we probably would not come back because it was so far. Mm. And they had already settled in Brazil. So we only had the passport, but I never had the ID. And when I I think at the time I was living in Thailand and I was always wondering like, oh, I heard a friend of mine, she was going to apply for a citizenship and you could, if you, both your parents are Taiwanese and you just, besides all the paperwork, you had to just maybe live for a year. Mm. And I was like, oh, I never got to live in Taiwan. And, you know, I've been abroad for so long. And when I was growing up, I always fought with my, my Taiwanese identity. Mm. Uh, again, because I was, a, I'm a third culture child. So it's, my identity was a little bit like, I'm always com- confused or conflicted mm. with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was like, okay, let's try. So I came to Taiwan and I ha- do have relatives here. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, let's see if I can apply. Uh, I'll try and live for a year and then see how it goes. So I lived mm-hmm. for a year, started to love it, and then just stayed after I got my citizenship. Mm. So now I have dual nationality. So luckily, Taiwan also allows that. And so does Brazil. Wow. Wow. So a dual citizen in Brazil and Taiwan. And do you speak? Portuguese, English, and Chinese all fluently? Yes. And I also speak uh, Taiwanese, which is the the local dialect. I, I guess I shouldn't oh. call it dialect. It's a, the original language. So my, oh, okay. my relatives, my grandparents as well, when I was growing up, when I was little, they spoke mostly Taiwanese. Uh, a lot of people in Taiwan don't speak Taiwanese as well because when uh, China was, was occupying it, mm. they also would they would penalize people that spoke, mm-hmm. didn't speak Mandarin. Mm-hmm. So I think that's also would kind of kill a little bit of the Taiwanese language. Uh, same thing when Japan was over, like mm. yeah, people could speak Japanese and Japanese, uh, Japanese yeah. and Taiwanese. So my dad knew how to speak Japanese as well. This is interesting. So you almost, one of the benefits of growing up in Brazil is that the language actually was preserved better for you and your family um, than for people who lived in Taiwan. Yeah, this is uh, most of my friends that are that are that I've met that are Taiwanese that might be slightly younger than me, mm. they don't really know how to speak Taiwanese or their families don't speak. I think this is also especially more because I live in Taipei. If you go more towards mm. the south, like southern Taiwan, they'll speak more Taiwanese too. Interesting. Okay, that's amazing. That's amazing that you speak four languages fluently. Yeah, it's just sort of speak Spanish, but not. I wouldn't say that because you know, like a. Brazil, Brazil is like the only country. It's eighty yeah. percent the same to Spanish, so yeah, it was better before in school. But yeah, 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 yeah. That I, ha- I have a funny story about that. Yeah, it's the Portuguese Spanish is a, um, it's like close enough to be dangerous, right? Yes, <laughs> like you can almost have more miscommunications because you think you're saying the same thing, but maybe you're not. That twenty percent of the time, if the twenty percent of the time is critical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think when I went to Argentina, I was like, how do you say yesterday again? I was like, it's a completely different word. Interesting. Huh? Yeah. So when you came to Taiwan, you know, you spoke about being a third culture kid. When you came to Taiwan, 
did it feel like you were home? Did it feel like you were in a foreign country? Did it feel like any of these other places you had lived, China, Thailand? Like how how did that feel? Um, and what was it like adjusting to yeah, like your home, but as as kind of a foreigner? How has that been for you? And how has food impacted that? I first came to Taiwan when I was the very first time I came to Taiwan when I was 12 and mm. I came with my mom. Mm. And I remember that I had a very big culture shock because I was very tied to wanting to be Brazilian. Hmm. Um, not that I had anything against, but it because it was a long trip and mm. you know, I had you you're just you're kind of the keychain that's going along with your parents to do all the things they want to do. <laughs> what a great so way of exactly saying that. Very, yeah. Yeah, no, you're not exactly having fun. Mm. Uh, like, I think one of the things like, you know, my mom and her friends wanted to go, you know, shrimp fishing. And I was like, this isn't fun. I'm 12. <laughs> uh, so I remember that from that first trip, like I remember telling my mom, she had, she, my poor mother, she had to make food for me every day because I refused to eat Taiwanese food. I didn't just mm. didn't want to, I didn't want to have it. Um, you were so really resisting my, it. I was really, yeah, I was, I'm a, a stubborn child. <laughs> One of my aunts even did ask me when I came back this time. She's like, do you remember that when you came here, you told me, you asked me, why are the eggs different? And I was mm. like, what? She's like, you said the eggs in Taiwan are different from the eggs in Brazil. I was like, I don't remember this, but I don't know why I thought that. That's, are are they different? No. No. <laughs> probably, I probably, I think it was probably like, I saw white egg and I saw brown shell mm. egg. Mm-hmm. But I was a bit like, okay. I think yeah. I was just being you know yeah 12 teenager yeah 12 I was being 12 I was being (laughs) immature obviously (laughs) um but after that and coming back this time it it feels half like coming home and half still being a tourist I feel like sometimes it's still a little bit of a tourist and I do Mm -hmm. like it because I kind of like the perspective that I have especially what I translate through in my photography is like oh you know for the Taiwanese, like, oh, yeah, this is like something that, you know, we're really connected to and that is very part of our culture. But you took it in a in a different kind of perspective that we wouldn't have looked at. Mm. And I was like, I think that's so I think that's kind of the merger that I had with it. But mm-hmm. I think coming back here because I have family, it also helped to kind of understand a little bit better. Mm-hmm. But also having the last few years, the opportunity to just live and kind of, you know, settle for a longer period to adjust. I've kind of been able to understand a little bit better and appreciate better the culture that I actually do belong with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you think that are, do you think your parents are a little bit jealous that you live in Taiwan? My mom, she, my mom is hoping that she can retire here, but because okay. my brother is still living back home, I think for mm-hmm. now they haven't been. And also with the pandemic travel wise, mm-hmm. a little bit complicated. So mm-hmm. But she does want to come here. So every time she does come here, she 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 sees all her friends and she's mm-hmm. ready at the age where she basically she should retire. So she would like to come here. And especially now now that I'm living here, it also makes her want to come back. Mm-hmm. Oh, of course. Yeah. You would want to yeah. be with your child. And also for her, it would feel m- more like coming home probably than for yeah. you. Although right now she also wants me to be back in Brazil. So it's a bit like... <laughs> One or the other. I can understand a mother wanting to be with her child. I can't blame her for that. <laughs> no, I don't blame her at all, as well. Like I would like to go back to Brazil. Yeah. I haven't been back in 
a very long time. Yeah. So, and I also miss Brazilian food, but. Do you, I was going to ask you, what do you miss about Brazil? And does Brazil, I guess you don't know if it feels like home when you go back, you won't know until you do, I suppose. I think because it's been so long, it probably won't feel so much maybe on the first week, but then Mm -hmm. I'll just like settle back in and be like, yes, this is what it was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, I do miss Brazilian food. Every time when I was, every time when I used to go back to Brazil, I would take suit, two suitcases. The second one was just food. Because mm. <laughs> you can't get certain things here. Yeah. Like, you know, everyone knows like acai and stuff. But it's like, you haven't had fresh acai before. You don't know what you're missing. You're missing out on it. Like having wow. fresh acai that does not melt in a bowl is fantastic. And there's other... Um, mm. Because Brazil's different because it also has like its own like endemic species. So it has a few, like there's mm-hmm. this soft drink called Guarana, which is a, a, a Brazilian herb. Mm. So again, very different produce that you can mm-hmm. get there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just the food culture. I mean, Brazilian yeah. food is also very fresh. It's a mixture of different cultures as well because a lot of people have immigrated. So even when people say like, they don't believe me when I say I'm from Brazil, I was mm. like, what does a Brazilian person look like? They're like, good, good question. Yes. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Brazil, Brazilians have some, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. There's a huge variety in skin tones and um, ethnic backgrounds in Brazil for sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I think that also, that's why I think coming to Taiwan wasn't so much of a Mm -hmm. a shock for me because again, traveling abroad and then being in other places. uh, I like to describe myself sometimes as a comedian, like I'll go to where more new and and adapt yeah yeah so, yeah i've talked um, to s- go ahead oh no i was just going to say because i also lived in norway for a few months oh wow and that was just after leaving china so i think at the time i was woofing at a farm and the mm. and the farm owner he had asked me like are you gonna be into like a really big culture shock i was like no more like a temperature shock because i'm brazilian <laughs> so i don't do minus degrees <laughs> My yeah, body didn't but, cope with that very well. I gained so much weight. Oh, because you were just eating to try to stay warm. Yeah, that's so. so interesting. Yeah, yeah, it's almost like uh, culture can't shock me anymore. <laughs> I suppose that's how yeah. it is when you're a third, fourth culture kid, um, yeah. like you are. Yeah. So, how did all of this translate to becoming a food photographer? Do you think? Um, what do you think drew you to that? And do you think it's related maybe to being a third culture kid, just kind of like looking for culture in, in, in places like food and things like food, or do you think it was just an artistic endeavor? How do you, how do you, how did you end up there? I think in my core, I was always creative and Mm -hmm. my dad gave me my first camera when I was 16, Mm -hmm. but I never actually considered a photography as like a career or I never thought of it because it was just something that I enjoyed to do. And it was something Mm -hmm. that I also enjoyed doing. Um, with him Mm. so but because I've traveled to so many places and everywhere I go I'm always a bit like I want to go see the market I want to go eat the food Mm. that they have there Um, (laughs) unlike my unlike when we travel when I travel with my parents which is usually every time I would travel with my mom or dad we would just go to every single Chinatown yeah interesting they were seeking that out and you were always it was like gravity you were just always drawn to food yeah I was just like I want to see something like I want to eat what they well, I want to eat what the people are eating like what is that snack I want to have it <laughs> mm. 
And because I, and also, you know, since I always would have a camera to record, you know, before the days of social media, where you're just taking the photos just for like, this is for me to remember what happened or what I ate. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then I think that thread started just getting thicker and thicker. And I was like, oh, mm-hmm. hang on. I really do like, because I had other friends who were like, you really enjoy photography and you really like food. And they were like, oh, you take like really good photos with your phone. I was like, I do, I guess. Maybe I should just mm-hmm. start doing it with a camera and yeah. see how it goes. <laughs> but actually, I think the the real, I think the real trigger was the other thing that I came back to Taiwan was I was in a, I had kind of in a sort of a weird gap mm-hmm. year, I suppose. It was kind of, kind of sabbatical trying to figure out what I wanted to do with with life in general Mm -hmm. like oh I just want to find my my bliss and figure out what do I really want to do Mm -hmm. I even did the Camino de Santiago to try and figure that out I don't know what that is uh it's a pilgrimage across Spain oh wow so it's a 800 kilometer so I hiked like 800 kilometers to try and figure out (laughs) like what what would be my bliss um didn't get a white light at the end, but you know, that's high expectations. <laughs> I was going to say, there's never way. a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. <laughs> no, I did see a rainbow at the end, but there was no gold at the oh, end. Oh, really? <laughs> what an amazing yeah, yeah, moment. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yes, definitely. Uh, yeah, and then I, so I came back to Taiwan and I think uh, Rachel, I'm going to butcher her last name, I feel. Rachel Korink from to, at Two Love, at Two Love Studio. Studio. Yeah, mm-hmm. Yeah, so she had uh, she had posted about this was like years years ago. I think maybe over five, yeah, maybe five years ago yeah. that she was offering a mentorship in food photography. So you had to fill in the application and submit it. I when I while I was filling it, it just started to you know feed me with this fire of like, oh, you know, re- I really really want this. I really yeah. want to do this. Like, I hope I get this. Yeah. I didn't get the mentorship, and huh. but even though I didn't, it was just like, no, this is fine. That was I, the turning I, like, point. Yeah. Yeah, that was the turning point. So I've even DM'd Rachel once and told her, like, you know, thank you because you kind of like uh-huh. told, helped me like kind of figure out because everything started then coming together. Because mm-hmm. it That's just it, it just made sense. So I guess yeah, you know, everything from it's not just because my parents had a restaurant or because there's a food history, but I guess everything that came kind of built up to it. So it's all these random threads that get mm-hmm. pulled in together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does feel like you were pointing towards that. Like you said, anywhere you went, you wanted to go to the market and take pictures of of what you saw and what you ate. And I love the way you described it, that the thread got thicker and thicker um, mm-hmm. until it just kind of pulled you there. So how long have you been a food photographer? I think about three, four years. I think mm-hmm. that's maybe the fourth year now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, your work is beautiful. I, I love it. Oh, thank you so much. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. So what do you think is next for you? Do you think that you'll settle in Taipei or Taipei, elsewhere in like Taiwan? Or do you think you'll, yeah, it's, go ahead. I think Taipei is a bit of, uh, I've always thought of this as a base. Mm-hmm. Um, I've also gotten back really close to the relatives that, are ha- that I have here. So I do, uh, some of them don't have kids. So I'm kind of like their surrogate child <laughs> yes. in a way mm-hmm. uh, so I feel like oh this is like a good space because I can travel from here to go to other places um, mm-hmm. I don't really see myself living in Brazil again because I think I, I I did my time in Brazil and I have nothing against it I do love the country still and I still have family there but I feel like it was just not quite the place for me mm-hmm. like just being abroad I mean I did try to go to Europe 
So hence, that's why I went to Norway and somehow I boomerang back to Asia. So I was like, clearly Asia wants me to be here. So that's fine. <laughs> and you went to so be it, in Asia. Yeah. And I wanted, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so I ended up in Asia again, mm-hmm. but I have the option of traveling. So, you know, once the mm-hmm. things get a little bit better pandemic wise, you know, first ticket out, I think my friends are all joking because they're like, you've never been put for so long. I was yeah. like, yes, <laughs> because I, after I did that first year where I got my citizenship, the first thing I did was fly out. Hmm. So my last trip pre-pandemic was to Italy. Hmm. Yeah, you'll always be a little bit, a little bit of a wanderer, an explorer. Us explorer maybe is a better way to say it because, like you said, you have a home base. Yeah. Hmm. And you know, I love that. So even like if I'm in Taiwan, I do have like ideas because I think one of the projects that I I wanted to start working on this year, but for other personal issues, I have not been able to mm-hmm. fully focus on it, uh, is trying to do uh, a book mm-hmm. that's uh, about Taiwan. I think you've probably seen it, you know, when I was doing the the Taiwan flavor uh, book. So it'd be more like a food, a food story yeah. or just um, capturing, you know, street food. Because I think I've noticed as well, a lot of the dishes, Mm-hmm. especially some of the more, more traditional dishes, the younger generation is not interested in making them. Mm-hmm. Like they'll mm-hmm. eat them, but like, you know, feel the stall. And it's like, yeah, my daughter doesn't want to make this, but she likes eating this. But I tell her, you know, you should try and learn because again, it's like a, you know, a dying dish. Yeah. And eventually that daughter will want to know and you want to record that for her. So when she's ready to learn it, you'll have it there for her. Yeah, or at least chronicle an image of it, so you know other people could reference it. Uh, I wouldn't. I don't know if I would turn into a recipe book yet, because mm. then I, I think I would need to need to find a, a food writer to help me. Although there are a few, a couple of, I think there's two or three books that might be coming out next year that's just about Taiwanese cuisine. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I'll definitely want to follow up with those. Well, if you yeah. ever create that book, I would love to have you back on for a publication, a publication party, <laughs> give away a copy and all oh, of that. Oh, for sure. Yes, please. That would be amazing. Yeah. When do you think that travel will open up for you guys again? I think tagging's kind of opening up because mm-hmm. quarantine right now, I think is seven days. You can do home quarantine mm-hmm. and the government did say maybe in July, they might be scratching that. Uh, It's just because right now with the current global situation, tickets are also very expensive. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Everything is. Yeah. There's, there's, there's a lot of turmoil across the globe at the moment. So I'm a bit like, okay, I have to kind of still hunker down as much as I do. (laughs) Which is a real struggle for you. Yes. Yeah. I mean, you've already done three years. So a few more months. (laughs) Yeah, but you are, you're just like a free, a free spirit, like a a bird that needs to spread its wings, aren't you? Uh, Yes, a little bit. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. That's wonderful. It's wonderful. Yeah. And I love that you're recording it for us to see. So, Um, well, thank you. I, I, I have enjoyed this conversation so, so much. Do you feel like you got to say everything you wanted to share? Yeah. And thank you so much, Becky. You had like some great questions that Oh, good. You know, yeah. So this is like really fun to just kind of share and kind of look back a little bit where, you know, normally I wouldn't have talked mm. about this. Yeah. In this yeah. Way. So, you know. It's- well, I'm really grateful. I learned a lot. I enjoyed it. I hope you have a great evening. And um, yeah, Thank I'll you. be I hope you have a great day too. Thank you so much. Take care. Take care.
Take care. You too. Okay. Bye. Thanks, Becky. Bye. Thank you, everyone who tuned in this far. Just want to say that I truly do appreciate each and every one of you so much. The link to Yon's contact information is, of course, in the show notes, as usual, along with the recipe for this amazing fried chicken. You can find every episode and every recipe that any guest has ever shared with me over on thestoriedrecipe.com. And in the meantime, I hope you have a great week, my friends. <music>